We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the inaugural Arsenal Vision podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You may know me on Twitter as Yankee Gunner, uh, and I am not thrilled or delighted to be here, unfortunately, because we are coming to you uh, fresh off the loss to Manchester United at the Emirates, uh, a game that ultimately ended 2-1, and I think everybody would agree was a huge disappointment. We've got some great guests to talk to today. We'll start with James from Gunner Fanatic 49 James, thanks for joining us. Good evening. And Paul from Posing in My Pants. Paul, thanks for being here. Thanks, Elliot, I think. Yeah, well, it's not the occasion we would have hoped, but uh, on the bright side, at least we can all sit here and uh, pick the bones out of the loss. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot to get to, and obviously it was a hugely disappointing result, uh, if not a hugely disappointing performance. But maybe the best place to start is to just talk about uh, before the match, I think, the first question everybody had was who the manager would pick. So, James, when you saw the lineups, uh, what was your initial thought of the team he chose and, and what our our prospects would be with that 11? I think, quite frankly, I was I was fairly content with the lineup. I wasn't particularly surprised to see both Ramsey and, and Wilshire um, place in the midfield, sort of in front of Mikel Arteta with seemingly Alexis pushed out to the left. Um you know, from a defensive point of view, there's been a slight sort of call for Bellerin to perhaps be moved outright with um, Chambers back into the centre instead of Nacho. But um, Wenger clearly was sort of, you know, he's been trying to, given the sort of defensive issues, um, look towards slightly more an, an experienced and comfortable lineup at the back. Um, and, I, you know, 
in all honesty with you, I, I think especially given the sort of recent performances from Santi, um, I'm not sure if sort of the lineup itself was was the issue going into the game. I thought Jack, had, you know, Jack actually played quite well in that um, in that midfield alongside Aaron, um, and I thought he was sort of one of our more dangerous players before the injury took place. Um, I think we created. I, I mean, I know you said earlier on that um, both the result and the performance were a disappointment, but. From a performance point of view, I thought, especially up until up until we conceded that goal, I thought we looked definitely the stronger side. We certainly had a, a significant number of chances to to take the lead and really sort of take the game to United. But as has been the the issue for much of the season thus far, especially you know you can look towards the City game where we've had, we've had periods of of at least slight domination in the earlier part of the game, and we really just haven't you know we, we haven't sort of taken advantage of that situation and. And that was really sort of, a, I, I felt, uh, our undoing. Um, Paul, uh, Paul, did you, would you have done anything different? Uh, I've just made you manager. Would you have done anything different with the starting 11? Or for the most part, do you think it sort of picked itself? I think it largely picked itself. I think my big reactions when I saw the lineup was uh, tempered delight that Arteta was in the lineup Absolutely. to give us structure. Uh, of course, a little unsure as to how fit he was. It turns out... Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into that, but uh, he certainly didn't let us down. And I think my other reaction was it looked like Sanchez would line up on the left, which caused some anxiety for me because he's been so strong through the middle, so deadly. And I guess my third thought that went along with that was picking Jack and Ramsey in the midfield, uh, kind of the negative voice in my head, which I try to ignore as much as possible, was did the manager wimp out a little bit of not picking one of the two of them? Because obviously that set us up as a 4-3-3, Sanchez over to the left. I guess the, the defending point might have been that Sanchez w- was very likely to run out of gas at some stage, given his 290 minutes for Chile and arriving back on the Friday after a... 463 hour flight back so there was, <laughs> maybe he didn't want to build the team with Sanchez at the number 10 spot or uh, it being a uni- uh, an Arsenal United badly wanted as much work rate in the middle between Ramsey and Jack and, um, and I, I guess the final reaction obviously we expect we now expect uh, Chamberlain to play on the right um, so there was some delight there because um, it was a pretty safe bet, but he's been in such really good form. But of course, that meant that Cazorla, who's been out of form, was on the bench. Though I tend to find that I'm more critical of his finishing than his overall play lately. Uh, maybe that was a little different today. Maybe maybe he didn't quite come up to my, what I had expected him to, to do when he came on. But maybe that was a hard task at that point. Anyway, I, that was my reaction to the lineup. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, the, the reality is, I think, to your point, and, and, you know, when you look at the way Ramsey's been playing, you know, his position in the in the squad might be a little bit vulnerable. But ultimately, Cazorla hasn't played well enough, I think, that he has to be uh, in the starting eleven. And as a result, I think it was pretty easy 11 to pick. You know, James, you mentioned that some people would like to see Bellerin playing at right back and Chambers move to center back. But I don't think there was ever really much of a chance to do it. And ironically, if you want to point to the things we did well today, I certainly don't think Nacho Monreal had a poor game at center back. And I thought Chambers had one of his best games in an Arsenal shirt in a lot of ways, um, especially going forward. 
and created a lot of the chances that we made in the first half. I mean, ultimately, I, I don't know that anybody had much of an argument with the starting 11. Um, it, probably the biggest thing for me when I looked at the team sheets was when I saw that United was playing a back three, especially with the, the personnel they have, I felt like there would be chances. And, and sure enough, there were chances. Um, you know, James, you talked about the performance being pretty good. And I, I tend to agree with you. But, you know, here's a question I posed on Twitter. You know, I said... At halftime, if you should be 4-0 up, but it's nil-nil, was it a good half or a bad half? So the question is, you know, do you take the positives out of that first half performance where we really battered them and, and they looked terrible and we, we probably should have put a few goals in? Or, or do you have to be critical of the fact that, once again, it's players not, not making the big contribution in the big moment in the big game? Well, I mean, listen, you, you always want to take the positives from a game, especially going into halftime. Well, I um, don't. <laughs> I love to take the <laughs> negatives from a game. Well, Have you met me before? <laughs> yeah, well, apparently not. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, I, I walked into the stadium and I was talking with um, this friend of mine that I go to the games with more often than not. Um, and he said, you know, the most important thing is that we put in a good shift tonight. I said, well... Quite frankly, I'm I'm not particularly concerned about the performance as such. The only thing that that is of of any importance tonight, especially against this United side, which I think now you correct me if I'm wrong, that we've only sort of won won one out of the last fifteen fixtures against is yeah, is is just to get the three points. And I I would have absolutely taken getting a full battery in the entire ninety minutes and getting some last gas sort of scrap scrappy victory, much in the sort of the ilk of you know maybe sort of the Crystal Crystal Palace game for example. Um, but you know, it, it, it's tough because you know one of the one of the major issues that we've sort of levied against the side, whether it be against Swansea or or even sort of you know the first sixty minutes of, against Burnley or Sunderland is, you know, this this is still a team that's that's look, that, that's struggling to click and sort of struggling to gel together, um, and you know maybe maybe it's just because I have this sort of sort of blinkered um, Arsenal vision on, but. I, I was genuinely. I came out of that first half thinking, you know what, this is, especially especially against like McNair and Blackett at the back, um, with Wilshire in the midfield looking looking quite sort of um, sprightful and all. Um, I, I I really thought this was this was a game that we that we could have won. I going going into the back of that first half, but um, it you know it was very it was very typical and sort of classic Arsenal and all in all the wrong ways, unfortunately. And I think you can only but look at the negatives coming out of a result like that. In fact, I think seeing that eight-minute eight minute stoppage time at the end, I sitting in the stand thought, well, <laughs> this is, you know, I, you know there, there were a couple of sort of, you know, cheerful hopes from, from those around me, but I, I was thinking quite the opposite. I thought, bloody hell, I've got to, got to endure another sort of eight minutes of this. And was it at, at halftime, I, I know we could talk a little bit about the atmosphere in the stand at full time, but at halftime... Was it upbeat? People felt good about the performance, thought we'd still go on to win, or what? Was there a lot of sort of tr uh, trepidation about the fact that we had not converted our period of dominance, dominance into a lead? Because I think, you know, I tweeted, um, you know, we're dominating, they look terrible, something to that extent. But then I, I tagged it by saying that's usually when it all goes wrong for us, and I think there was a sense of deja vu about that. I mean, were were, were people in the in, at the ground pretty nervous at halftime that we hadn't? converted the dominance into a lead um there was certainly a little bit of disappointment that we hadn't um scored at least a goal given the chances we created but there was a lot of positivity coming into that um halftime break um i think 
yeah, I mean, you can talk about sort of the full-time whistle. There was there was certainly a, a large sort of chorus of boos that were directed towards, I imagine, both the manager and the players, and and a little bit towards the um, the officials. But I, I amongst many was was quite sort of heartened by the by the first half performance, and and in particular, I thought I thought the crowd itself. I mean, I, I only recently I've been sort of the North London derby and, and the Anderlecht game, but I thought yeah, there was there was a there was a genuine buzz about the game. I mean, it obviously was sort of against United. You had um, you know that you know that guy playing against his old club and 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 the sort of the Dutch skunk playing against us, so which added to the occasion. Um, but there was I, I had I certainly don't remember an atmosphere much like it for for quite a while, um, at least until. Or, you know, whatever it was, the 60th minute um, when we conceded. So I, I think, I mean, you know, aside from what was what was going on on Twitter, etc., the the crowd certainly seemed positive. Um, it's just, you know, as you would expect, there was certainly a significant amount of you know, frustration at, at the same time of of the chances that we 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 let pass by, which ended up being sort of um, a major sort of disappointment going in, you know, lo- looking back at the end of the 90 minutes. Yeah. I, I mean, Paul, obviously the, the chances were there. Um, but you know, I, I think this is, this is the problem. I mean, we, when we do get ourselves goals, we tend to not be stable enough at the back. And then it, it feels like sometimes, you know, when, when we, are dominating games. We don't convert that into a lead on, on the score sheet. I mean, in your estimation, what's what what was the reason we we didn't get on the score sheet in the first half? Was it just lack of composure and finishing? Do you think it was that De Gea was really that good? I mean, do you would you say that we are we we have only ourselves to blame in the first half, or do you think we were a little unlucky? Uh, we only have ourselves to blame. The manager used the word efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, he used the term 80%. I was thinking 80% a lot today. Uh, and maybe for our season so far, the 80% between the almost that's played between kind of that last ball that our defenders play or that last touch that our attackers take, take, uh, I think we've all seen some stats to say we're actually one of, one of the best, if not the best team kind of if you ignore the top and the tail of our performance mm. Th- those those dumb things we've done in defense and those the efficiency on the other end sanchez excluded i mean if you think of jack's uh, effectively one-on-one with de gea uh, in that first half which we're all we were all kicking ourselves and all wondering is that the one that's going to come back to bite us the answer was yes um, and compare that moment to the one against Hart uh, in the City game. And they were fairly similar. In fact, the Hart opportunity might have been a little tougher. Uh, but Jack chose to t- uh, beat Hart with his right foot because of he mentioned something about training with him in the, the English camp. And he knew Hart would expect him to go to his left foot. Well, guess what? De Gea expected him to go to his left foot. And Jack took an extra step and he blocked it. And, you know, these matches come down to narrow mar- margins. And, you know, we had two or three times the number of shots on goal. But uh, going back to the halftime d- discussion, I think we were all in the same boat of saying, well, that was really good. That was really exciting. That was really attacking. But 
we have a horrible feeling we're going to regret the chances we didn't take and a horrible feeling that the, the few chances United do take, those counter-attacking opportunities, they're probably going to get sometime later in the second half. You know, will they do? Will they be more ruthless than we were? We were, and guess what? You've two players. Rooney gets three hundred k a week for a reason. He's not maybe not world class, but he's got a world class mentality when he plays against us. And I mean, I mean we, is that the problem? Though? That. Uh, you know, I mean, I I look at it, and you know, we rate our players so highly. And Paul, you and I have talked about this on another podcast before. I should say I have. You know, we. We yeah. rate Oxlade Chamberlain and Ramsey and Wilshire and and Welbeck and all th- those guys so highly, but I mean, does does Van Hal maybe have a point? I mean, if some of those chances fall to a Van Persie or a Falcao instead of a Welbeck, if some of those chances fall to, you know, uh, a, an Aguero or or you know Yaya Torre instead of J- a Jack Wilshire or an Oxlade Chamberlain, I mean, maybe we do have a two or three goal lead. Is it just the fact that? The problem for us right now is Alexis aside, when chances do fall to us, we're seeing the difference between the really elite players in the game who take them and our players who don't always take them. And, and that, you know, that's the margin right now. I think so. I think if you had Henri on the pitch today, he would have put one of them away. And, you know, and or that's a just as that, you know, instead yeah. of a Wilshire, you know. Yeah. And that's the opportunities that were there for them today. You know, uh, a Perez, a Bergkamp, an Henri would have made even more kind of somethings out of nothings, as Sanchez tends to do. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that little bit extra at the top end that uh, that we're not creating, that we're not finishing, and 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 those things all lead to belief. Lead to belief. I mean, part of the mentality is eventually the players start thinking this doesn't seem to be happening you know when you have a player up front that you think can win you a game like when we had Henri up front well united have you know rooney up front and their team think don't think well we we don't deserve to win this we're not the stronger team they think if we could just get that one chance to rooney he'll put this away and he does and yeah. we, our team looks forward and they say well, you know, we're playing well, we should win, but I got this sneaking suspicion that maybe we won't. And they look up and they don't see the guy that's going to bury it for them, especially if Sanchez is out to the left. Um, I, I think it's kind of a red herring if we talk about it too long. So I, I just want to ask you guys both one question, one word answer, just yes or no, because then I want to move on to, to something else. But just yes or no, uh, when Wilshire clashed with uh, Luke Shaw, James, did you have that as a penalty or no? Um, obviously I saw it very quickly, but I'm inclined to say yes. You guys have seen the replay, so you're probably better judge than I, but, you know, I, I was certainly amongst the, the uproar that, um, suggested that it should have been a penalty. Paul? No. Yeah, I, I tend to think no. I mean, you could go with the old, I've seen them given, but you could argue that there were three big calls in the game that were wrong and two of them went in our favor. So... Uh, you know, Wil- Wilshire not getting sent off, and then the ridiculous offside call that stopped them from having a clear counterattack when they were a good yard and a half onside uh, in the second half. Um, uh, you know, ultimately, I, I don't think that there's anyone that necessarily needs to be singled out for criticism here. I, I thought overall, in, on an individual level, I thought a lot of the players put in a pretty good performance. Um, 
but there are two for me that stand out and, and they're important, I think, to talk about because I think they're two players that are problematic for us right now. Um, Jack Wilshire and Aaron Ramsey. Um, Wilshire obviously had the crucial miss. He lost his temper. He could have been sent off. He got himself hurt. I say he got himself hurt because I think that's sort of the style of his play. And Ramsey generally was just sloppy, looking to shoot when it wasn't time. Once again, not necessarily doing the simple, the basic things. Um, you, you know, starting with, with Jack and, and maybe then just touching on Ramsey as well, little James, I mean, at what point does Wilshire have to stop and uh, does Wilshire, does Wenger have to stop indulging his players? I mean, you know, I look at Ferguson and Mourinho and the thing they both have in common is they expect a certain type of behavior and they expect a certain type of performance. And if they don't get it, they'll either sell you or bench you one of the two. Um, and, and Wenger just seems to have certain players that he indulges and, and, Jack is certainly one of them. He always tries to get him in the side if he's fit. Um, and I obviously he's a, pro, a, a prodigious talent, but his attitude, his behavior, his professionalism, and his performances to some extent don't necessarily warrant it. Did you find yourself sort of losing patience with Wilshire today? And, and how did you feel about, you know, the mischance, the, the loss of his composure and his day overall? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm very interested to to get both of your takes on this because I know both of you are quite the aficionados of Jack. I, I, um, used, to be, I used to be a huge fan. Used to be, yeah. Well, I mean, in fact, I, I do think he had a, a slightly better performance today, I, I guess sort of alongside the, the City performance where he was, you know, one of the sort of standout performers. Um, but it, it, it's a tough balance with Wenger, isn't it? Because a lot of players will sort of attest to the fact that one of the sort of key qualities of Wenger is the amount of faith that he tends to show in players. And I think, you know, give, you know, given the sort of comments both, you know, both of yourselves have made about Jack, I don't think it's um, ridiculous to suggest that many fans would, would um, um, almost expect Jack or think of Jack as being sort of on the cusp of making it to that next level. I think, you know, you, you see the qualities in Jack. He's, he's got so many, you know he, that sort of burst of pace from deep, where he can he, he can beat that player and create that space for himself, and that that sort of that that close sort of ball control, his ability to his ability to find players in the final third, and you know, and that in itself is exciting. And and especially as an Arsenal fan, given the sort of his love for the club, you 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 do will him on, don't you? But it's I think he's been one of the most frustrating players, certainly alongside Aaron this season. Um, but unfortunately, Jack hasn't had the kind of season that Aaron had last. Um, last year um, to defend himself with and it's tough because I I, I don't know the statistic um, offhand but I know that I, I think I know for a fact that you know the results with Wilshire in our side this season compared to without him um, are certainly far worse and I, you, you can't but look to that chance today and you can't or, you know you, even before that you had him sort of breaking into space on the edge of the area and him curling it right into De Gea's arms and think that if we want him to play to be the player that we think he can be, those are chances he has to be taking. Those are times when he has to be putting um, when he has to be putting us ahead and really sort of taking the game by the scruff of the neck. And it's it, it's it's a tough one for me because I I have all the will in the world to sort of love Jack and 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 wish him to become that sort of the star player that you you would hope and think that he can be. But as of right now, I think. Um, He's a player that that doesn't necessarily deserve to be in the first eleven, and one of I think one of his other issues is, and I I unfortunately didn't sort of get to see it particularly well from where I was sitting, but 
um, as you've suggested, he's you know he, he he probably should have been sent off given you know the, the clash that he had with Fellini, and that that hardly comes as any any surprise to any sort of Arsenal fan, I imagine, because he's he's someone that he's passionate, but he doesn't he doesn't tend to sort of direct that passion in in the right way. Um, if you understand what I was saying, I, yeah. he 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 tends to be a little too enthusiastic, and and especially from the sideline, you, you tend to think, well, you, as a professional, you need to rein that in slightly. You need to you need to direct that into your play. You need you need you need, you need to take that against your opponents, you know, with the ball at your feet. And it's not something he tend well, certainly not recently that he's he's tended to do. And I it especially given that type of attitude, that there just tends to be a significant sort of air of frustration surrounding him. Um, I, I think you also have to weigh weigh into this. You know, um, when you take a player like Mesut Ozil out of midfield, who's so precise and controlled and reliable and moves in space well and does everything in sort of a measured, calculated way, and instead replace him with a Jack Wilshire and Aaron Ramsey, who kind of are the opposite of that. You know, they have their inspirational bursts, but they're all over the place. They're not as tactically astute. They make a lot of little errors. It's exaggerated because the drop off from an Ozil to a Jack Wilshire, just in terms of the control of the game, the composure within the game, the precision within the game is massive. Um, Paul, you know, I mean, I know that it's unfair to really pick on any one player or any two players, but but I, I think that there's been an issue this season uh, where Jack or, or Aaron have continually caused us problems. I mean, the mid the midfield should be an area of strength for us. Um, and, you know, due to Arteta being out injured and going with Flamini and Ozil being out injured and Cazorla being out of form, it, it hasn't been. And we've been trying to shoehorn Ramsey and Wilshire into the midfield almost all season. I mean, at this point, are you ready to say the manager has to has to look for alternatives to those guys? Well, I, what we need here is a contrarian. And so here I come. And All right. I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think if we look at today, the options weren't that great. It was Kazorla, who was a little bit out of form. He's out of form also, yeah. Uh, Rizitsky, um, who maybe we're all wondering why we aren't seeing more of, but maybe today wasn't that game. I expect to see him a bit more in the Champions League so far, but we haven't. Um, so, and, and if you look at what we produced in that 80% between, you know, uh, some, some clumsy defending and some wasted attacking, I mean, we had 23 attempts on goal versus 12. We had, and, and that includes some of the later breakaway goals that were because we were being a breakaway attacks from United. I mean, had we scored one or two of those goals earlier on and then kind of been a little bit more sane, the stats might have been a little uh, even more favorable in our in our uh, in our direction. With nine on target versus two, eleven cor- corners versus five, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So if you look at what their production was supposed to be, um, I think maybe the manager got it right today. Uh, you know, from Ramsey, uh, I'll have to look at it a second time because you tend to remember the high and the low notes for both him and, and Jack. I mean, if Jack puts his goal away, we don't have a word to say about him today. Um, well, maybe we do. Maybe that's a little overstated. Well, and sure. by the way, I mean, whether that's true or not, I think failing to put away a relatively rudimentary chance on your strongest foot that would have given you the lead, you know, it is cause for criticism. <laughs> it's certainly cause for criticism. And it it's a goal you should have put away. But 
having played a little bit of uh, football in my time, those ones you ought to put away. You know, how many of those ought to put aways are missed by players on all sides? So they absolutely so- are. You know what, Paul? I, I think the, the reason I say it that way, though, is just that it's putting those away that that is the difference between you know, the, the, the teams that, that win titles and the teams that compete on the biggest stages, you know, if that's an Iniesta, that's a goal. If that's, you know, uh, arguably a Fabregas or if it's a, you know, a Yaya Torre, who, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily have at my fingertips the names of the players for all the best clubs around the world. But, you know, if it's a James Rodriguez, you know, those are goals. And isn't, isn't that really the problem that that's where we want to be and that's, the, that's what we should be expecting? True, but Jack doesn't carry that same attacking onus that those players you that's mentioned. It would be nice if he did. If if we were talking about Ramsey, I think that's fair because one of the reasons Ramsey's on the pitch is to finish those midfield attacking moves. Now, it's not that Jack doesn't have that burden or isn't required or isn't capable, but he's a little bit more coming from deep, making something happen. Now, may, maybe in a midfield three, blah, 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 you can say, well, his... his but I think if you look at the 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 pecking order, Arteta would be expected to be a bit more d- deep. Um, Jack would be doing more of the forward and back running, and Ramsey would be expected to do a little bit more of the fishing finishing. Now, there's no hard and fast line, so I'll I'll, I'll back off a little bit from an Iniesta comparison with maybe Jack on, on finishing. And you know, uh, uh, the manager has said he doesn't expect. Jack to be a goal scorer and Jack took some umbrage at it and he has expected Ramsey to be a goal scorer and he he complied last year but to your bigger point I think if you look over the season in general there's really good arguments to make about whether Jam, Jack or Ramsey should have started as many games as they did and whether other people should have got a look in I I think Jack has shown enough form in his couple of England games and in the couple of games before that to be on that field today and if he'd finish that one off and if you look at our overall production there's probably not too much we would have said about him Ramsey's the other one but given the options today and given the the work rate he can put in uh, I'd like to go back and look at the tape as they say and see how the rest of his performance was um, I think he's the bigger one for debate that's fair I you know I for me the problem I just have is uh, you know I, I I get frustrated with the manager because I feel like he tolerates performances and and continues to put players out on the pitch and start them week in week out with no, without necessarily being in any way related to how they've performed in the previous game. And I, you know, I just, I think as a player, if you feel secure in your place, regardless of performance, then there's a question of whether you ever feel the need to lift your performance or a pressure to lift your performance. And you might say, well, Elliot, I'm sure Jack and and Ramsey and want to lift their performance. But this is how you forge clutch players. This is how you forge players with bottle and and with nerve is you take away their place and you say you have to earn it back. And then when they get a chance to earn it back, then if they come through, that forges real nerve and metal and bottle, whatever word you want to use there. And if they don't come through, then you start to develop a resume on this player that says, you know, or, or... you know, that, that says this is not a, a, a player who will perform in key situations. A- and then you move on from them. I, you know, because I think talent is obviously a very important metric, but I do think there's something to be said for combining talent and, um, you know, nerve, the, the ability to perform in the biggest moments. 
Um, you know, if there was a knock on Thierry Henry, and I always thought it was a little unfair, the knock on him was even that he he would miss big chances in in crucial moments. Um, you know, and I, I think it's been years and years and years now that this Arsenal team in general has failed to perform at the, at the biggest moments against the biggest rivals. Um, you know, and that's obviously a larger talking point we could, you know, get to uh, over the next three and a half months that we're recording this podcast. Um, but moving on to the second half for a minute, and, I, you know, ultimately I do think the performance was pretty good and we dominated them. They, I think they were really, really bad as well, which didn't hurt. Um you know they get the goal. I don't. I don't know that we need to focus too much on the goal. It was sloppy. It was poor communication. I don't fully understand what Gibbs was thinking there. Chesney flapped a little bit. Um, but uh, just to just yep. to add, Elliot, uh, I was listening to Lee Dixon. I don't mm-hmm. know if you were yeah, still I was in your well. commentary. Yep. And his view, and obviously he's played a little bit more than I have in the in those positions. Once or twice was that uh, Chesney would have called for that, and Gibbs should have got the hell of the hell out of the way for that so that was one perspective i don't know i I saw a lot of the reason i bring it up is i saw a lot of comments on twitter about uh chesney screwing up and what was chesney thinking etc that was lee dixon's perspective uh chesney had the right to have his way cleared so he could come at that ball aggressively i tend to agree with that i think also what happened on the actual goal itself is i think gibbs was caught in two minds in a key moment where he didn't know whether he could let that ball go or had to make a play on it um, cause he didn't know what was behind him, but yeah, I'm more, I'm more interested in actually talking about their second goal. So in the, in his post-match, uh, comments, the manager said, and I want to quote it, um, it was just after a corner and we were not cautious enough. I don't know why we had nobody at the back at all. You could see straight away that giving a two against one in your own half means you will be punished against these players. First of all, that happens to us a lot. Uh, second of all, they had several opportunities for that to happen. Uh, we got we got off uh, a, let, a let off by a wrong offside flag that went up that stopped what surely would have been a second goal, and Di Maria should have had a third on the same thing. How on earth do you explain how we approach late game situations where we're a goal behind and we're chasing a goal when everybody in the stadium could see? that eventually they were going to get us on the counter. And how do you explain the manager not knowing what his players are doing, not understanding what his players are doing, and not finding a way to communicate to his players on the pitch that what they're doing isn't what he wants them to do? I mean, James, I'll I'll start with you. Everything about that last 15 or 20 minutes, to me, shows the naivete and lack of nuance, lack of, of professionalism, um, about the way we approach the finer details of a game. Surely a team should have a more refined way of chasing a one-goal deficit at home than putting 10 men in the opposition half and waiting to get picked off on the counter and then having your manager not be able to explain it. So what's your reaction to how we got picked off, how we approached chasing the game late, and then the manager's comments that he didn't understand why we were playing that way? Well, to be honest with you, Elliot, I think I'm... I'm as I'm as baffled as you. I I don't think I really have the answer that you're um you're sort of searching for. I, okay, you know, moving I th- on. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I it, it did reek you know slightly of desperation because you know when we conceded that that second goal, it wasn't as though we were sort of you know in the last minute of stoppage time where you you throw the goalie forward and you throw everyone in the box and you just hope you you sort of hope it pulls off. I mean, 
you know, you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was it, it was literally just Nacho Monreal sitting on the halfway line with literally everyone sort of everyone else packed into the box. And I, I at a live game, so I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it with both with players like Di Maria and Rooney just both charging at Nacho, and he's he's there sort of on his left, on his right, sort of you know, caught in two minds and. You know, it, 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 it's one of the simpler goals you've, you've seen conceded in, you know, certainly in, 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 in many of the games that I've seen. And I, I'm not really sure that there is any excuse for it, quite frankly. I mean, even even when you're chasing a game like that, I mean, at home, we're, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're still but a goal down. It's um, it, it, it's not a time of, of complete desperation where you throw your entire kitchen sink at, at the problem. And I think it's, you know, I think as, you know, Gary Neville would often attest, it's, it's a slight sort of lack of patience and almost a slight lack of confidence in the team's ability because if with 10 minutes left in a game um, and you're 1-0 down at home, you've still got to believe in yourself and you've still got to have the faith that you can get that goal back without having to just sort of, you know, it wasn't a Sonogo that was thrown on today, but, it, you know, so it might as well have been, quite frankly. And I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I've got to apologise, but I, I'm... I'm 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 slightly stunned by that goal. I was, as the goal was happening, when I think it was Di Maria that picked it up on the halfway, and I looked at my friend and I said, uh, "Am I am I watching the same game that you're watching?" As Nacho was um was sort of just left in the in in the quicksand, and then, it, it it's certainly been one of the more frustrating components of of watching this Arsenal team this season. This this sort of idea of of game management and the decisions that I think more importantly, you know, it's easy to sort of levy criticism towards the manager. I think he's obviously certainly not blameless. But you we're talking about a team that's full of internationals at the moment. You know, the likes of Pair, et cetera, that we've talked about having you know, being a World Cup winner, et cetera. And I I'm I'm just not I'm not sure what's going through their mind at this time because we seem to be making fairly repetitive mistakes in the grand scheme of things over and over again. And I'm not but, but, but James, I mean, I, not not to cut you off here, but I mean, this is what drives me nuts. Okay, Wenger gets beaten with the tactics stick a lot, um, you know, and some of it may not be fair. But here, I think it, it is a very, very fair question because this is the second time in two weeks he's talked about the players sort of having the freedom to decide things on the pitch, and and here talking about not being sure why players are doing something. You you, you read about managers like Pep Guardiola, who draw squares you know, on the training pitch. And if a player isn't inside the square he's supposed to be in, you know, they get yelled at and told to get back in their square or whatever the case may be. Um, that is poorly paraphrasing an article I read about Pep that is probably not remotely the, the exact explanation, but you get the idea. These managers who are maniacal about the details. And, and here we are talking about Arsene Wenger, you know, conceding the most rudimentary of goals, you know, to a counterattack, down only one goal at home, and and not only that, not understanding why his players are playing that way. And I just feel like in an era where you have managers like Mourinho and, and Guardiola who, who are so maniacal in their control of every detail about how their team plays, it would seem fairly rudimentary to just have a strategy for how you're going to play if you fall behind in a game. Um, and it doesn't even appear we had that. I mean, Paul, surely there has to be a, a way to chase a game without everybody in the stadium and everybody watching at home knowing you're about to concede another. <laughs> uh, it, it is. I mean, I'm going to join the baffling uh, group mm -hmm. here. It is yeah. baffling. I mean, I 
did we all have the same reaction when we saw Per playing it out of defense into midfield and then continuing up the wing without the ball? <laughs> it's like, oh, Jesus, it's going to be this sort of ending. <laughs> yeah. But, and, but I, I mean, what's the what's yeah. the strategy? You know what is? Do you believe Arson that his players are just freestyling and doing whatever they want, and he has no ability to control that, or do you think this is sort of the instruction he gave when he sent players on? I mean, why is it happening? And if it's not his his direction, then why isn't he doing something about it? It seems to me there feels there seems to be a bit of separation, a bit of mismatch between Arson and his team that I haven't seen maybe in previous seasons where things were going uh, poorly. Um, you know, he seems to be expressing uh, more frustration. This naivety comment is kind of, it's a couple of matches now where he's kind of almost throwing up his hand saying, yeah, beats me. I don't know why we were doing what, we're, what we were doing. The implication being, and I think against Anderlecht, yeah, it was, I was asking, well, I think I said, I can't see what Wenger was doing on the sidelines, but surely he was shouting at his players to get back. And apparently from one or two people who were at the match and from a journalist, Wenger had been kind of doing his nut uh, at what his players were doing and where they were going and why we were chasing a game we were actually winning. So to the bigger question, I think the interesting discussion will be, has the game moved on to a from a point where the details sweating kinds of managers, the ones who look at all the data and the stats and decide where is the most optimum place to put your players on a pitch and basically forcing uh, teams into a very rigid structure and approach, the Simeones, the, uh, I guess you could say the Klops, the high pressure pressing teams or Mourinho who maybe builds it a little bit more from the back. These guys who have a very, you could say rigid scientific approach, whether Wenger's more creative, inspiring, free-flowing, trust the players, but and I don't think he doesn't give them a plan and that they don't have a structure and they don't plan things, but the, it's a question of degree and he's way down the other end of the spectrum in terms of how rigid he sends his teams out. And I just wonder, is that what we're going to see here? Can... Can Arson adapt? Is this just kind of a funk we're in? Or has the game moved to a point where... And, and to be honest, that's not really what we saw today because United were pretty... It was a very open game, pretty free-flowing. If we'd just been more clinical, we would have won it kind of thing. So today isn't necessarily the best measure of it. But in the broader scheme, the Southamptons, the Swansea's, uh, Liverpool, depending on what tactics they take on, have been, you know, the Pochettinos with the much more scientific uh, map, you know, optimized positioning, tactics, pressing, etc. versus Wenger's more creative, more fluid, more trusting his players. I do sense a lot of frustration between Arson and what's going on on the pitch that I haven't seen at other times. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, I think it's difficult sometimes because we do build a narrative uh, for a season and then we try to fit things into that narrative. And the narrative yeah. this season has very much been, he didn't buy a center back, he didn't buy a defensive midfielder, and that derailed our season. Um, neither of those things influenced what happened today. We didn't lose today because Nacho Monreal was playing center back, and we didn't lose today because 
Mikel Arteta was a defensive midfielder. In fact, I thought Mikel Arteta had an excellent game. Um, and, and I don't think Nacho Monreal did much wrong either. Um, we lost today because we weren't clinical. We didn't take advantage of our period of dominance. But I, I think we also lost today because of the way we played the last 20 minutes of the game. Um, and either the manager instructed his team to play that way, which is insanity, or the team played that way in defiance of the manager's instructions, which is a problem. And so I think that last 20 minutes is, is very troubling because there was no nuance to the way we went about attacking them. We just threw every single person into their half and, you know, tried bat basically pushing through them like a battering ram. And we left ourselves completely exposed to counterattack after counterattack. Um, you know, and and can I, I add something there, yeah, Elliot? Yeah, please. Um, uh, one of the commentators made a really good point, which was the way we attacked in that period by doing so much through the middle was almost guaranteeing counter-attacking opportunities for them because that's where they were they were tightly packed, dense. That's where we were attacking them from. Had we used more width and uh, attacked them on both wings and come at them from the sides, uh, we wouldn't have been as vulnerable on turnovers. So... In the end, we played right into their hands in the last 20 minutes by going up through the middle. I mean, it wasn't entirely through the middle, but that was pretty dominant in our play. So, yeah, I think that's yeah. a really good point. And also, you know, I thought in general not to pick on him. I'm not sure Kieran Gibbs had the best day either because when he did overlap or did get into position, he was poor. I mean, I felt bad too. You know, unfortunately, once again, Cazorla came on and, and really didn't do very well. I thought his volleyed chance could have been taken better, but at one point, he had the easiest overlap pass to play to Gibbs, and he basically hit it too heavy, and Gibbs had to slide at the end line just to to get a foot on it. And and I, I think that's sort of endemic of what's going on with us right now, too, is just that we're not minding the details. You know, the, the overlap passes are being hit just a little too hard. The the shots are right at the keeper. Um, you know, we're wasting free kicks in corners, which is nothing new. But just the little details. And and I think this is where, you know, unfortunately it comes back to the manager and, and to the point you made about detail-oriented management. I just think you have managers today who micromanage more, who are in control of more of the details, who are more uh, rigid in their demand for specific atten attention to specific detail. And and I think Arsenal is a team that looks like a team that just does not pay attention to the to the finer points, to the finer details, and does not necessarily have a plan. Um you know, United should have been demoralized and beaten before halftime. Um, but I think teams know if they can stay in a game with Arsenal, they have a chance to get something from a game. Um, you know, you look at Anderlecht in, in the Champions League, and, and that's the case. I, You know, I think we've talked the game to death. There's obviously, we could pick more bones out of it. I don't even think it merits really discussing Giroud's goal because it winds up being a, a beautiful goal that gets flushed down the toilet of history and, and becomes meaningless. Um because we didn't turn it into anything. I also thought we showed a little naivete at the, at the end, frankly, when we allowed ourselves to get into pushing and shoving and, and you know, get caught up in Di Maria's histrionics as, you know, the last few seconds are, are winding down. But, you know, at, from a 30,000-foot view, from sort of a macro viewpoint, James, we've now lost or failed to win just about every game about, against a rival, you know, for the past year that's possible i mean you go back i guess the last win against a rival meaningful win would arguably be over spurs um you know maybe you could say liverpool before that but 
I, I think, unfortunately, what happens is when we look back at a season, we look at two things. What did we win? Did we win anything? And thankfully, we did last season. But then the next thing you look at is, did you beat United? Did you beat City? Did you beat Chelsea? Did you beat Spurs? Did you beat Liverpool? Um, you know, at this point, do you think the season is salvageable at all? I mean, is, is there anything left for this season to be other than sort of uh, an end game towards trying to stay in the top four? And how demoralizing do you think this winds up being for the players, for the fans, for the season in terms of yet again in another big game again? And, and, and a, a team that is struggling, that was there for the taking, we, we failed to come through. Well, um, it's hard but to see it as, as being anything other than a season that's going to be at least fairly demoralizing. But I'll try and put a slight positive spin on it. Um, I think, you know, we've, if you want to look at it from a very macro point of view, is we've often, you know, we've talked a lot about this being sort of the, the 2014 or 2015 era as being, you know, the, the change of Arsenal Football Club, the, 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 the sort of financial dynamic that has altered with the debt being sort of paid off. And, you know, that has been seen in the signing of men and the signing of this. I think most of them were fairly astute. And, you know, in, in the long term, at least I'd like to think, um, in the deficiencies that we do have, although we tend to seem to have at least one or two deficiencies each season, is that, you know, as much criticism as we'll levy towards, uh, towards Wenger, especially in the transfer market, is you'd like to think that, whether it be January, whether it be this summer, um, when players are now being brought in, we're bringing a player of a certain calibre and a certain level of quality and despite the performances and we can maybe talk a little bit about well, as we have mentioned this sort of this this undying faith and trust that the Wenger puts into his players certainly in sort of the, the Ramseys and the Wilshires and um, the kind of sort of tactical naivety that we've we've witnessed in this side but it it's hard not to look at that team and say you know you have a potential world beater, I, I certainly think, in an Alexis Sanchez. And you, you look at an Oxlade-Chamberlain, who I think is you know, certainly one of the positive sparks and lights that we can draw from in these last few games. And you, look towards, you can look towards maybe a Jack and, and certainly an Aaron, given his, um, given his form from last season. And you think to yourself that it, it doesn't really take much. It, doesn't, it, it, takes, it takes one of those players, not necessarily to... To sort of shoot off and become this sort of this world class, like you know, match winning performer. But if you get one of those three, and I know this is very hypothetical, and I know we often like to talk, especially amongst sort of the British and the Arsenal players, of players that can um, sort of come to the forefront of the game. But it's not hard to imagine that one of one of Aaron, you know, or, or one of those three, really, really does start to become a player that can put in a consistent shift, and at least if. If those if those types of players with the kind of squad that we have start bringing in the level of performance that we can at least reasonably expect from them, and then continue to build on that squad, I, you know, aside from you know whether you're a Wenger out or you're a Wenger in, I I still have a lot of faith in this squad, and I'm not I'm not sure if that's necessarily something that um, will be attributed to to this season per se, um, but I do think if you look in the long run, whether you look to fifteen, sixteen, and and past that, this is a very stable team. I mean. You know, you you've got a lot of youth. You've got a you've got a team that's now been together cohesively for a while. I think you can maybe draw to sort of the the lack of cohesion we've suffered from from the slight change of formation, whether it be the sort of four one four one, 
um, formation or the the kind of four four two that we've now implemented with both you know Welbeck and Sanchez being new to the side. And you know, injuries aside, that's always going to be a slight issue. Although I think Ronald Koeman may may argue otherwise. Um, but yeah, I think you know you often talk about it on your on your Twitter handle quite regularly that. And you've mentioned it just now that aside from winning a trophy and aside from this, you know, this sort of fourth place position and getting into the Champions League, one of the most important things is 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 that feeling, that sensation, that emotion of coming out of a game and against a a big rival and and getting that important victory, especially at home. You know, I I haven't felt quite as despondent after a game for quite some time as today, and it does seem, especially given that you know the. Um, the facts we've mentioned regarding Wenger and his his lack of sort of you know uh, meticulous tactical twinkering um, when playing different types of sides that he you know these top managers seem to quite consistently get the better of him and I'm not sure if this is true but I know on the way back on the tube my my friend was uh, was indicating that of the last forty fifty four possible points against top four teams we've only we've only managed to gain nine points which. If if it is true, and it, it certainly does doesn't seem um, certain, it certainly does seem feasible. Um, it's fairly shocking. It's quite it's quite depressing because, as short, you know, football is a very short. It, it's a game that's that's very short term. You get a lot of sort of quick, um, you know, quick joys from it, and um, it's the excitement of the game, and it, it it's the now and then, and above everything, even when you're winning a league and when you're winning a trophy. Um, it's it's about it's about enjoying those individual moments. It's about enjoying that sort of Henri last minute winner. That was a sort of the the one game I looked fondly at against United, sort of at the Emirates. And it, when you look at this team now, it, you go into these types of games sort of just hoping to not be embarrassed and and sort of desperately praying that that something will come of it, rather than this sort of previous you know arrogance and swag that we used to have and this knowledge that you know. You know, like over a large sort of period of games, there was going to be a, at least a decent few that we could come away with, think you know, feeling fairly upbeat. And the kind of conversation we're having now, although this is a new podcast, it seems it seems to be a fairly repetitive conversation, um, at least for the last certainly for the last few months, if not the last couple of seasons. And that in itself is is extremely frustrating. But go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, go ahead. No, I mean just sort of finishing off as as I did mention. I there's there is that. I guess that sort of un, hopefully undying optimist in me that does think that if you look at the squad on paper, if you look, you know, you do look to sort of cover those cracks. I think, although you know, there is the argument that Wenger rarely, rarely does ever sort of um, replace every every single deficiency in the side. If you if you do look to the kind of financial change that's taken place, if 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 those issues are resolved and and hopefully you know maybe may, maybe you can suggest that. There's there's just still a little bit of of growing that this team needs that I I I do think there's hope that this is a team that can still that can still well, well I think we'll still certainly finish in the top four but can come into next season off the back of towards the end of the season having had a very strong run and then well which is I know isn't all that promising in itself but can look in towards the future season and think that this is actually a team that is in itself strong because as of right now for me this season's already a Sort of a pretty much a foregone conclusion. Yeah, yeah. And, and and Paul, I'll, I'll turn it over to you in a second. I just want to answer that for one second because I think there are two interesting things there. You know, this is the problem. Even if every player in the squad performed at their best level, 
there would have been a ceiling on what we could achieve this season because we failed to strengthen at defensive midfield and because we failed to add that extra center back that we needed. We left ourselves short. And even if every player performed at the level that we, we hoped they would, we were probably going to fall short because of those structural flaws in the squad. Then when players underperform expectations and you already have structural flaws in the side, that's how a season becomes a house of cards that falls apart. You know, I mean, in order for us to have had a good season where we were challenging for the title this year, think of how well our attacking players and midfield players would have had to play to overcome the fact that a Nacho Monreal is being drafted in a center back and a Callum Chambers is starting every week at right back and Matthew Flamini is playing meaningful starts, getting meaningful starts in defensive midfield. You have to be perfect everywhere else to overcome those things. And we're not perfect. And I think my problem with the optimism towards next season is I think you're right, James. I think we could very well finish in the top four, although I don't think that's any more a foregone conclusion. Um, I think there's, there's real doubts that this team will turn it around. But the problem is if we come back and do finish in the top four, what evidence is there that we will suffer the same problems next season of being tactically naive, dropping points we shouldn't, failing to strengthen in areas of obvious weakness, having players that continue to get drafted into the side despite underperforming, because it's not six months of evidence of that or a year and a half of evidence of that. But with all due respect, it's it's five years, eight years, nine years of that. So, Paul, I guess the, the question is, is this season over? I mean, forget top four for a minute, because truthfully, if we're going to get seven points in our Champions League group by beating Anderlecht once and Galatasaray once in a draw and then get blown out by Bayern Munich, you know, I, I realize we need to be in the Champions League to attract and, and keep top players, but the experience of it from a fan standpoint certainly isn't delivering. I mean, is this season over, or can you paint a picture in your mind, not just you know, fantastically and LSD inspired, but like based on actual reason and logic where you can see this season turning around in a way where it would end feeling like it was some semblance of a success. Uh, yeah, I can, but it's the bigger stretch of the two. It's pretty easy to come up with reasons why it's a busted flush, but here's how I see feeling if I feel good at the end of the season, it'll probably be because around the uh, Christmas uh, window, Ivan goes in and sits in front of Arson and says, Arson, we need to get a player, a good one. Here's the money. You know you have it. You got to do it. If not just for footballing reasons, to keep it sane around this club. So that's one piece of it. Um, and I don't think that's necessary. Uh, of course, we can see football reasons why that's why that's needed. And I disagree a little bit with your point about us needing having needed to have been perfect coming into this season um, and not having the people in place because momentum is everything. And we we saw that with Liverpool last year. They had a, a fatally flawed squad. But when things start rolling for you instead of against you, you can now it would have been hard to overcome this much more robust Chelsea team this year. But I think we all would have taken a really good uh, run at the title, missing by a couple of points, but playing great football. And I think we could have done that this year had we got the momentum thing going in our favor instead of against our favor. Yeah, but, but so, Paul, what I meant by perfect, I mean, just like 
Ramsey would have had to have replicated his form from last season and and Welbeck and Sanchez would have had to hit the ground running, which to be fair they did. And we would have had to avoid injuries. And like like because we left deficiencies in the squad in key areas, I just mean that we really couldn't afford to have anything else go against us because we had already stacked the deck kind of against ourselves, if that makes sense. It does, but it's not a math formula and we know that That's and true. momentum's momentum and teams find a way of winning. Um, so yeah, I, I hear where you're coming from. Back to the I mean, interestingly, point. not not to get overwhelmingly stats oriented, but there's a there's a statistic called expected goals. Yep. Um, XG. Michael Cayley. Yeah, yep. Michael Cayley, exactly. And he talks about it on Twitter. And if you don't follow him, I think he's MC of A, something along those lines. MC dash of A or any anyway. Uh, interesting statistics, but our expected goals and the expected goals of our opposition we are vastly underperforming our expected goals. And based on the stats, we project out to comfortably finish in the top four. But, you know, the irony is, I think those stats can also be turned around the other way and say our, perf- our players are showing a dramatic lack of quality when it's needed or bottle or nerve or whatever you want to call it because they're failing to score as many goals as their positions and opportunities you know, would make it out to be. So I think you can you can look at both and sides. Conver- of the coin. And conversely, conceding more than they should. I, I mean, it's back to the 80% thing. 80% of our performance uh, game by game is league leading. Yeah. It's the it's the finishing and the flubs on defense, the the bony climbing over on climbing over the top of Monreal. The I believe that was Gomes, off the sh- right? It was Gomez who climbed over Moray. Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Same, same difference. Uh, yeah, same difference. Th- those one or two moments in the game, but we're not allowing a lot of moments in the game. But the ones we are allowing, we're flubbing. And conversely, on the other end, we're we're unlike last year where we weren't creating a lot. Uh, we kind of overperformed last year. We got a lot of good uh, uh, finishing from a lot of low product this year there's plenty of product and we're not allowing the opposition that much yeah but it's that last the the last touch on each end that's killing us all right so so Um, let's do this before we wrap up i want to hit hit two more things uh that that i think we should at least get to first first of all let's talk what we've got on the immediate horizon because you know we come off this game we've had two weeks off to process some dreadful results we get an even worse result and now we've got to face Dortmund. Now the Dortmund game is interesting to me because it is not really a meaningful game in theory. We probably will be going through the knockout round, even if we lose to Dortmund heavily. Um, I, I, I don't think there's too many scenarios where I genuinely believe we will not get out of our group. Um, and we have some very difficult games coming up domestically away to West Brom home to Southampton away to Stoke, uh, home to Newcastle, away to Liverpool, home to Queens Park Rangers, away to West Ham, and at Southampton. And that takes us through New Year's Day. It's not a particularly easy run. Not a lot of easy games. I mean, maybe Newcastle at home, but they've been in good form. I mean, Queens Park Rangers at home, you'd hope, would, would be a win. But is So a couple of things. How important is the, the Dortmund game now in the context of what's happened in terms of the possibility that it could stop the rot and, and just lift people should the manager heavily rotate and be prioritizing the league now given that the Dortmund game is not important in terms of the result 
James, if you're manager for a day, do you use the Dortmund game as a chance to rotate and refresh and, and, you know, really focus on the league? Or do you now see it as almost a must win to try to get the fans and the players and the club, you know, moving back in the right direction? Well, I mean, quite frankly, I think we've talked, that was certainly Paul has touched on the, the importance of momentum in this game um, and in this business. And I think, you know, really it's, it's the way up of do you, do you think that, you know, resting players and giving them some time off before sort of going into a Premier League fixture is, is the ideal sort of preparation for getting them to sort of perform to their best abilities? Or do you, or do you want to take a game like Dortmund where we are at home and we're playing a side that, you know, although they've been extremely strong in the Champions League, have certainly struggled in the Bundesliga. Um, and given the prestige and sort of the, you know, the management of Klopp, et cetera, it's, it's a game that, you know, it's worth, I mean, I, I'll say it's a game that, you know, we could we could potentially sort of really build off. But I think we've looked at the sort of international break prior to this one. Where we said, well, if, you know, if we get a good run of results against Sunderland, Burnley, Hull, very winnable fixtures and start to build momentum, well, maybe that can kickstart our season. And now we're saying, well, you know, maybe the home fixture against United and the home fixture against Dortmund can kickstart our season. So it's, you know, we seem to sort of be be playing a slightly broken record. But but yes, in, in, in theory, if, um, you know, especially against a team like Dortmund at home, it's, I you know, I personally, I think, especially given that one of the major fl- issues we've had as a side is this, given the, I, in my opinion, certainly the, the quality of players that we do have at our disposal is, a, is, is sort of the lack of, you know, I guess chemistry or a lack of ability to sort of gel as a team thus far, um, given the slight changes that have taken place. And I think, Perhaps that still takes more time. I don't think it should have taken anywhere near as much time as it has. But given where we are, I think the first eleven has to continue to play, and I think we have to, because hopefully, you know, there will there will come a moment this season. I think where where it does begin to click, and we do begin to develop that that sort of spontaneity and that momentum. And I, you know, I I can, but I hope that it will be against Dortmund. Do you do you think we can beat Dortmund? Yeah, I think I I, I do. I think we will. No, do you think? Uh, do you think we can? Is there any any yes, anniversary? Yes, can absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we 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 can beat Dortmund. Certainly. See, well, I, we, I will tell you, I don't think there's one chance in a hundred we can beat Dortmund. I, I think I, we can. I, I would I, I would not approach that game with anything resembling any intent to win it. I would I would rotate everybody out. Um, and quick, I'll tell I'll tell you why just quickly. How about this? How about this? Just quickly. Mm-hmm. When we went to Bayern Munich away a season and a half ago or mm-hmm. so. Uh, and we won two 0 with sort of Jenkins at a right back. Now, need, need, you know, needless to the fact that you know it was you know an insurmountable sort of you know having already it, it was a dead rubber, but yeah, okay. It was a slight dead rubber, but but still, it was it was Munich at the Allianz Arena, right? Whatever, what it, you know, I can't remember the stats, but you know they hadn't lost for X amount of games at the time, and, and it, going, it built the bridge that took us to top four that season, and it it, it built quite the bridge, you know, on that fact, and it it also was a game that I think there was. There wasn't exactly particularly much optimism going into. Um, in fact, I think you know I, I I'd be surprised if you you'd said anything much different as you would say going into a game like Dortmund. And I think you know aside but from can I tell you why I have so much pessimism about the Dortmund game just really quickly? You're more I, than welcome to yeah. Uh, just a couple of sentences because I think the the blueprint that works for beating us is something Dortmund does as well as any team in the world, and that is. Pre, you know, press in midfield, counterattack at pace. Um, 
They're excellent at pressing on the ball and they're excellent at counterattacking at pace. And, and, you know, they're not a team that needs possession to win. They prefer to not have possession to win. I just, I think, unfortunately, the things that they do well are the things that we tend to get beaten by. Um, you know, and I admittedly, I'm being a little over the, over the top with the pessimism here. I mean, obviously there is a scenario where we could beat them, but I think I, you know, when they won't have Marco Royce, because unfortunately he suffered that horrible injury day. All right. Well, how about this, Paul, settle the argument. Can we beat Dortmund? Should we approach that game as a, an important game to win or should it be all hands to the pump for the premier league? I mean, you know, play, play, uh, heavily rotate and, and prioritize domestic. Okay. We can beat them. Will we beat them? I don't know. I like your pessimism because if we get a result there, it will seem to have some meaning. It's kind of a bit of a deb- dead rubber in some ways for both teams. Um, so that makes it a tricky sort of a game. I think it's a very dangerous game. There's a lot of downside to us losing or not performing. And not that much upside because people will dismiss it and because there's a lack of belief generally. And people will say, well, what's the real thing? Our, our Dortmund performance or our performance against the previous teams? And they'll they'll lead th- lean that way. So there's not a lot of upside here, but winning always beats losing. So in terms of putting a run together, it's important we start to put together a, de- a solid performance more than a brilliant performance against Dortmund. Well, would you? So would you? Would you rotate at all? A little bit? Not at all? What, I mean, what, what's your? What's I would your... rotate a little bit, but not because not not because of the lack of importance of the team. I, I think there's, uh, you know, sure, surely you have to give someone like Sanchez a day off finally, right? Um, yeah. Uh, and he might be—he certainly might be due arrest. Uh, but those are decisions you can only make if you're the manager on the—you know—on the training pitches of Colony, working with your data guys and your fitness guys. But sure. yeah. you know, fr- from a very long distance away, you got to say Sanchez is due arrest at this stage. And uh, so this, Rizitsky this is what frustrates me. Must be Let's in the squad for rotate. a reason. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, he, here's my frustration. Let's say he did rotate a few players in. And the players he rotates in excel in a win over Dortmund. I don't necessarily believe that that would earn them a place in the squad in the next game at West Brom. You know, it reminds me a little like Brendan Rodgers, who rotated heavily away to Real Madrid, you know, and, and then praised the performance of the players he brought in and then dropped them all for the next game against Chelsea. You know, I, I, I think part of the point of rotation is so that players believe they have a you know, so some players get a chance to rest, but so that other players believe they have a fighting chance for a place in the side. Um, you know, one of the best examples I think of what rotation can do for the form of a player is when he benched Chesney a couple seasons ago um, for Fabianski, and then Fabianski got injured, um, or was it Manone? It was Fabianski, right? Yeah, it was Fabianski. And then Chesney got his job back, came in and performed brilliantly through the season. I, I think. You know, when you feel there's genuine competition for your place, it's very different from illusory competition for your place. But all right, so so let's let's move on. I, one other thing that I just wanted to touch on, just really quickly, I think we can sort of wrap up here. Um, there's a tough run of games coming up. It's not impossible to see us losing again, especially in light of the fact that we've only won four times this season. We have Southampton home and away between now and New Year's. We have um, we have uh, uh, West Brom away, which isn't particularly easy. We have Liverpool away. 
Is there any scenario, James, where you can see the manager's position becoming untenable during the season? I mean, if, if we were to go to West Brom and lose and then lose to Southampton and then lose at Stoke, is there any scenario where it becomes untenable or where Arsene himself would say, you know what, I need to step aside? Is there any scenario where that would happen in season? Is there any scenario where we could even see that happening at the end of the season? Or do you believe we, this is our manager till the end of this next contract, come hell or high water, and whatever the results are? I'm inclined to believe that come what may, to a certain degree, Wenger will be here for the next year and a half. Um, I think we've often talked about, you know, I think Wenger is, has said in himself that the club showed a lot of faith in him. And I think during this sort of barren period, the club will testify that Wenger has shown a lot of faith in the club. I think you know, he's had plenty of opportunities, whether it be to go to Bayern Munich or Madrid or PSG, etc. Um, I'm sure a, a particularly lucrative um, wage structure. But I think part of my answer is, is a based on the fact that I, I struggle to see us actually encountering the worst case scenario where we're actually faced with the fact that Wenger may very well be on the cusp of, of being booted out. I mean, if we were to go on a run of, of losing sort of the next 10 games in a row, being having no hope of, of, of being in the top four, I think you'd start to notice an extremely sour sort of atmosphere at the Emirates and amongst the fan base. If we were to get knocked out of the FA Cup fairly early on, we're, we're going to be knocked out of the last 16 of the Champions League. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, then, sure, I mean, in, in that scenario, I think it's, it's a situation we've never faced with Wenger. I mean, I think you know one of the one of the sort of faults we um, we've talked about with regards to us, and one of you know one of the aspects of of his managerial career with us has has been the pure consistency in which he has you know at least provided the sort of top four spot. And I guess when you look at sort of the you know the the wages that the players are played it's paid etc. He's always sort of achieved kind of the bare minimum with 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 the squad that's at his disposal. Um, and I still struggle to see that not being, you know, not being the case with the team this year. Um, you know, speaking in hypotheticals, yes, it's possible. I think there is a, there is a, a ter- there is a, there is a scenario where the board has to see- seriously consider Wenger's position, but I think that has to be ex- extremely severe. Um, especially, I think, you, you know, f- all the voices from the club seem to suggest that. Um, there's a significant sort of affection and love for the manager, and there seems to be a very sort of common bottom amongst the two as to where they see this club going. Yeah, and by the way, I just want to be clear, even though I've been very critical of the manager, I'm not sure I see any benefit to changing the manager in the middle of the campaign. I, you know, I, I still have faith in, at a minimum, his ability to potentially steer us back to top four finish again. And I, you know, while I don't think we will ever win the title again under Arsene, and and not just because of circumstances, but because I, I think Arsene Wenger is a once great manager who has now been passed by his peers and is in the autumn of his career. Um, I still think certainly he can get us to the minimum result, which seems to be sort of his his standard, you know, sort of his, his standard requirement. Now, uh, what about you, Paul? Just, I mean, are, sorry, are, just very yeah. quickly, Elliot, very quickly on that. <clears throat> yeah. And I will, and I, I, you know, I will sort of um, mitigate this by saying I've always been a very um, sort of strong lover of, of Arsenal at the club. I'm still a little, uh, it still sort of baffles me that uh, a sort of a name as rare as Arsenal managed to 
sort of actually manage a, t- a team with the name of Arsenal. But aside from the, the, that aside, I, um, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about this 14-15 season as being the season. I, I, I talked about it briefly earlier. Um, but, you know, there is still, there's still a little gap in the squad. There's still, there's still more room for change. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily just down to this, you know, complete this naivety that we, we've seen in Wenger over the past seasons. I think there is a little bit of, of Wenger now only really, you know, but again, this is me sort of looking on the positive side of him really sort of waiting for that sort of that, that, that top, as he refers to it, top, top quality being available. I, I personally would like to see him have, you know, when a lot of people talked about this sort of FA Cup win being, you know, maybe the best time for him to leave. And, you know, I talked about wanting to see him actually have the ability to use this cash. I've, I've quite adamantly amongst my friends, well, I'm actually, I'm actually excited to see maybe given that one season in 15, 16, where you, there's no excuses really to not have a fully established squad as a whole and see if maybe that that's when we see that sort of, that that change in the team rather than this team that's always sort of, you know, you know, tripping over over hurdles throughout the season and kind of just, you know, just about making it over the the finish line for the fourth position. Um, but again, that that might just me being the sort of the the Arsenal the Arsenal, the Wenger aficionado and the sort of optimist. No, that I, I, I think you can make an argument for it. I, you know, I I think there are also people without wanting to get into it too too much further that would say this was supposed to be that season, and still more people would say last season was supposed to be that season. Um, that if he had pushed the boat out a little further for a striker last season, he would have won the title last season. Um, I think the risk you run is Chelsea are, are getting further away, not closer. Um, this season, if nothing else, should, we should have built on last season. We should be, from a points standpoint, th- this is a, a weak Premier League. And if we're not as good as Chelsea, at the very least, we should be battling for second and and looking on course for the same points or more points than last season. Uh, and quite clearly that's not what's happening. So, you know, I, I, I think it's pretty disappointing, I, but, but I see your point and I'm, it's not that I'm not open to it. I just don't particularly see it that way. I mean, Paul, um, you know, if you, if you're making the decision, is there any scenario where you would relieve the manager of his duties during the season at, or at the end of the season, or are you 100% committed to the idea that he should be the manager till the end of this contract? Or option four, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going with, certainly it, it would be just horrible, horrible at this club if we forced the manager out during the season. I, I just, agree with that. I agree with that. Just appalling. Uh, I'd like to think that won't happen and would never happen. Uh, with this manager or with any, really any any manager we had who was trying to do the right things and who hadn't taken a bung. So um, I don't see that scenario. I don't see the, the, the board won't act against him, nor should they. Um, the scenario in which Arson leaves before the end of his contract is the one in which he says to himself, I'm not the person to take it up that next step. He's still still a very proud man in the best way. Not, uh, you know, all this stuff about him being stubborn. Yes, he is stubborn, but so is anybody with a vision. Now, so it can go either way. The question is, is he good stubborn or is he bad stubborn? Uh, he's obviously, 
if you ever listen to him, he's got all his marbles. He's as smart as he as he ever was. Has his philosophy? Does his philosophy work going forward? I think he's as well positioned to work out if he's played all his cards. If he has another joker, if he has another ace, as anybody. And if that's a little bit of a cop out, I I think he's owed that. I um I don't think he's going to want to do this job if he doesn't have answers. If he doesn't have a way of rejigging things. There's a very strong squad where, you know, 80 to 90% of it, no matter how bad things are going at the moment, people actually like this team and those players. It's not like two or three years ago where you could have come up with, you know, it was all the dead wood and, you know, what's this guy doing in the squad? And there's almost none of those players. There's, there's nobody, there's almost nobody that people are saying, what the hell is he doing in our squad? They might be wondering why he's being played there or why there isn't another player to supplement it. This is Wenger's squad, Wenger's team. He's still as as sharp as a razor. Um, yes, he's stubborn and proud, but I think in the best way. And, you know, I could see him saying he's not the right person to take us forward, but I can also see him saying and knowing that there's there's another roll of the dice here. And if we end strong this year and we start getting our shit together and we start learning how to play the way we ought to be playing, you know, we can end on a high. We can go into the summer, fill the gaps. I know we've been here a couple of years before. Uh, but if it's not Wenger retooling, it'll be somebody else retooling and that'll send us back too. So, you know, I, I, I got my fingers crossed that... that Arson's as smart as I think he is. You, you know, you know what I would say, Paul. I think Arson is as smart as he always was, and his ideas are as good as they always were. I would say the problem is the ideas haven't necessarily evolved, and that there are methods and styles and approaches and ideas now that are that have evolved, that have, that are changing, and I just don't know if he's changed with them. I, you know, we. And while I agree with that, I also think. He's still really, really smart, and he'll be the he'll be the first canary in the coal mine. The day he looks at football and says, "You know, these the Klopp, Simeones, etc. This is where the game's going," and I don't have an answer for that. I think he'll put his hand up and say, "I've had my fun." I think he's that smart. I, I, you know what? The only thing that nags at me that disagrees, and, and I, you know, I don't want to go too much further with this, but, and I'm not this guy. I'm not a guy who makes this argument a lot, but I think it's naive not to at least raise it. You can't forget, you can't allow yourself to forget just how much money this man makes managing Arsenal. Um, I know some people in my life, not myself, unfortunately, but people that make that kind of money, and you'd be amazed at how nervous they are that they won't continue to make that amount of money. Um, I think we'd be amazed how many other opportunities who will have to make that's money. That's fair. You know what? Fair point. All right. Well, and, let's leave it probably there. Even, probably even more money on that yep. than that. But I, just very he's, quickly, not, I, he's not friends with the, uh, the, the Saudis over PSG and all these different places. You know, for there's loads of money out there. No, that's a fair point. Fair but point. just very quickly. Go ahead, yeah. I mean, we, we could talk about this until the cows come home. But... I mean, just a quick question that I'll pose to the both of you is, do you think, given that he's our manager, given that, you know, it's part of the team that we follow and we sort of, we live and breathe, that it's it's easier for us to sort of pick upon his flaws and, you know, 
the issues that we that we face with him being the manager of their club, especially when you when you see, you know, we often talk about Klopp being sort of an ideal replacement for Wenger, and you look towards like a Roberto Martinez that hasn't exactly, I don't think personally, has set sort of the world delight at Everton or even a Van Gaal at, at United this season, and you see that there there's 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 a wide array of issues that that many of these top managers face, um, you know, even 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 in the now and then, um, that we're a little we're we're a little less sort of um, keen to kind of touch upon, whereas this idea of change and and this idea of bringing in someone new is kind of the um, the panacea to to all of our issues. I don't I don't think it's a panacea. I, I think I I think quite the opposite. I think it could be it could mean it goes worse at first. I think the point is, if the current solution isn't going to get us to where our goals should be, then another solution should be sought out. Now, that doesn't mean the next solution will be the right one or even a better one. But the potential that the next solution could be worse is not a reason not to seek it out. You see what I'm saying? I mean, if you hate your job, um, you should take another one. Now, you may wind up hating the next job, you know, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't quit the one you're at. I, I just think that, that um, you know, there's another point just really, really quickly, which is just that, Sometimes it's not that the person isn't as good as they used to be. It's just that the person and the job have outgrown each other. I mean, it's hard for people to do something for 15, 20, 30 years at the same place and be as good at it at that place for that period of time. I mean, Klopp, I think, is an excellent manager. Maybe Klopp needs a new challenge. You know, maybe knowing he can never win the Bundesliga because of Bayern has burned him out there. And and maybe Arsene has the same thing, just position fatigue. But, you know, ultimately, I think we're, we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks, you know, whether there's real progress ahead. And, and obviously, when we buy four or five or six players on January 2nd, uh, it'll be a whole new season. So that'll be worth looking forward to. Let's go ahead and leave it there uh, since the cows literally just walked into my house. Um, so I, th- I think we've reached our point. Hey, uh, once again, for these uh, two insightful uh, individuals who you're going to want to follow on Twitter. You can find James at GoonerFanatic49 and Paul at Poznan in my pants. Uh, not in my pants, in his pants, but it's Poznan in my it was, pants. It was just the one time, Elliot. Well, you know what? One time is better than no times. Um, like the one time in 15 we've beaten United. Uh, hey, James, <laughs> Paul, thanks so much. Great talking to you, James. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Paul, uh, Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.